Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by the beautiful Nikki Lucas. Nikki is partner of Lissy, who was on a few weeks back, and she's also a somatic psychotherapist. She's been sober for about a year and eight months, probably be a bit longer by the time this podcast airs. And she's just a beautiful human who actually I've never met before. So I'm just going to (laughs) put that out there. So we've actually never met in person and this is our first time chatting. So I've got all this stuff to learn about you as does the audience, Nikki. Thank you though for joining us. How are you today? I'm really great. Yeah. How are you? I'm bloody beautiful. It's been a great day. (laughs) Been out meditating this morning on the beach. Beautiful bike ride with the kids, which can slow you down a little bit. Uh, It's a bit like I want to go, go, go and get exercise (laughs) and they're just dawdling along. Then I had a swim and now I'm talking to you. So, so far, so good. I heard a little bit, the tiniest, smidgiest bit of your story through your partner, Lissy, when she was chatting with me a few weeks ago for the podcast. And what I love is when partners go sober together. I think that's absolutely awesome because I think it makes big changes within the relationship. So what a gift to give each other. But tell me a bit about your relationship with alcohol first and how it started and how it evolved. 
So, yeah, we were actually talking about this the other day, like, because we were thinking about our own kids and when they, if and when they might start drinking. And I was like, wow, I was like 15 and drinking, like at such a young age and all my friends were a year older. So I suppose I started a year earlier than I would have. And yeah, lots of binge drinking in late teens, early 20s, even to 30s. It probably slowed down when all the friends had kids. And then, yeah, the decision to stop. I mean, it was really, as Lissy probably mentioned, we had this massive fight and that was the catalyst to go, what are we doing? It was during lockdown and we'd been drinking a lot. And, yeah, like we were just going to have a month off and then that kind of extended. We looked back and noticed that every bad part of our relationship, every fight was always like 100% alcohol fueled. We even went to a therapist once. I don't know if Lucy mentioned this to you. Yeah, saying, oh, you notice you say, but we were drinking. Yeah. So and we hadn't even, yeah. And we were like, as though that was an excuse, like that's okay to be fighting because we were drinking. And so, but even that didn't stop us drinking. But yeah, after this fight a little while ago, we was like, okay, let's have a pause. And then, I mean, for me, Lissy was more like we'd open a bottle, I'd have a glass, she'd finish the bottle. I didn't drink as much in the more recent years, but mostly because I felt sick physically. Like I'd have one glass and then have a burning stomach at night so mine was more like oh I'm doing all this stuff to work on my digestion and then I have one drink or two and I'm completely sick and burning and why am I doing all this healing on my gut when I'm just poisoning it so that kind of for Mm. me was like oh she's quitting because she knows she doesn't have an off switch but for me I could easily have one and stop but it was more the health, like I just feel horrible and anxious the next day and or for a week. Like if I drink a lot, I would feel anxious for a whole week. And I remember someone saying there was a phrase like it borrows from your future. And I remember going, it mm. totally does. It's mm. like, yeah, you have this fun time, but then you've lost a week of your life or a weekend where you could have been productive or, yeah, we stopped. And I, because I never intended to stop. I thought, oh, you know, I'll just kind of have maybe a drink at a party. So I think it was last year, my sister had her 40th and I was like, I'll have a few champagnes. It's no big deal. I know when to stop. And then on the night I was like, oh, I could just have mineral water and have just as fun, just as much fun. And that's kind of when I thought, oh, yeah, but I needed to kind of give myself permission Mm. to continue to drink when I wanted to. And that made me realize that I really didn't want to anymore. That's so awesome. And also just that giving yourself the permission to make your mind up as well is, I think, yeah, it's it's some freedom in that, isn't there? Mm. It's kind of freedom of choice. It gives you a bit more space rather than feeling pressured into something. Mm. Yeah, because I tend to rebel against rules and so I'm Mm. Greek. (laughs) So the rules often don't apply. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What I'm interested in also is how you were noticing what it was doing in your body. And this is obviously what we're going to talk about today on the podcast about somatic experiencing as well, or feeling things in the body, but you were noticing what it was doing. And sometimes the body is giving us signals all the time, but we're not listening were you already doing a lot of that somatic work then at that point and do you think that enabled you to feel what was happening a bit more in with your body 
I've always, like for many years, been doing detoxes and diets. Like my sister and I always joke about how many weird and wonderful things we've done. So always focus on health, digestion, and but this actual somatic therapy work I'd been probably at that point had been doing for five years. So yeah, was already working with the body and the felt sense and yeah. But it does make such a big difference. And I feel like, I mean, one of the first things I say to people, if they're even thinking about stopping drinking, is to notice what's happening in your body when you have it. So firstly, notice when you get the craving, what's happening in the body, what's happening with my nervous system, what's happening literally physically. Am I feeling tightness in my tummy or my jaw? What's actually happening for me? What's the experience that I'm having? And then if you do go and have a drink after that, what happens in the body then? So that's a really good practice to get into for people which are leading up to, well, this is what I think, leading up to getting to that point where they're deciding to stop. You really become aware of everything that's going on in the body when you're craving it and then when you actually drink it. And so notice when I drink this, do I get a burning sensation in my tummy or what happens? Do I start to get the headache? And then obviously feeling into the body the next day as well, because the body yeah. tells us everything. The body keeps the score, right? As Absolutely. Bessel, Bessel yeah. says. I think that's really, really important. What's your take on that in terms of feeling into it and feeling what the alcohol is doing to you and how that can help people? Oh, 100% agree. Like when you said that, it reminded me because I did, I also do mind body eating coaching. And when I was doing that course, the it's with the Institute of the Psychology of Eating and the trainer, Mark David, told this awesome story about this acupuncturist who came to him and is like, look, I'm telling people to be healthy and I'm eating McDonald's three times a day and I can't stop. And instead of going, okay, just stop, you know, it's really bad for you and lecturing, he said, okay. And he said, not only am I eating it, I'm going through drive-through and I'm eating it on the way to work. He got him to keep eating the McDonald's, but stop and go through the drive-through, park the car. And, and he said, just eat it as slow as you can. It only took one or two times of him to go, oh my God, my body, I feel so ill when I eat this. But because it was such a speed and an unconsciousness and a disconnect, he didn't notice And so he didn't have to go and use willpower to stop. His whole body just reject, like was just that biofeedback of rejection. And then it just kind of stopped. And I often tell clients that story, like if that's your crutch, don't just go cold turkey because that doesn't work, but use it, continue for a little while to use it, to really explore and get the body to teach you as opposed to the mind. And that's what I love about bottom up work. Yes. Because the body has got so much wisdom that the mind just can't access. Yes. Ah, come on, it goes <laughs> Oh, I just want to squeeze you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And what a great thing to do. It's exactly that, isn't it? It's okay. What's the body? What's the feedback I'm getting from the body previous to it, doing it, and then afterwards? Mm. The body tells you everything you need to know. If you just tune, if we can learn to tune in to the body and listen to what the body's, what it's telling us and the wisdom. Absolutely. What we've all become so disconnected. And like you said, a lot of our behaviors just become unconscious behaviors. We're just doing, Uh we're just eating. I had something recently, one of my sisters passed away recently. And I'm in the middle of doing a somatic, the Soma Wise course with Dr. Luke Snooski. He was on my podcast recently. He was also my teacher in the Gabor Mate course. And so this whole course is about really feeling into your body 
and really noticing the sensations in your body just through meditation, like a committed two times a day meditation practice and just yeah. different things and noting down what we're feeling after certain things. Anyway, so I noticed the week that my sister passed away and leading up to her funeral, I was really, really hungry. Mm. I just felt like eating all the time. When I stopped and would think about, am I actually hungry? Because it was constantly, I just wanted to eat. And then I thought, do I am actually hungry now or am I just wanting to eat? And then I was stopping and feeling the sensations in my body. What I was wanting, I could feel the sort of tingling in my mouth. This sounds mm-hmm. so weird. When I was thinking about the food, it was like my mouth wanted food. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't hungry. So it was like I just wanted this thing in my mouth to, it was obviously to soothe myself. Yeah. So I just didn't. Then I would just kind of put my hand on my chest or do a bit of journaling or really feel what I was feeling and would pass Mm. and it was just an interesting thing if I wanted to eat I could have eaten I don't give myself a hard time about that but it was just an interesting thing to note just with some curiosity oh that's interesting so now since then too every time I get this signal in my brain to eat I'm actually trying to tune is this coming from my belly from hunger or is it just this thing going on in my mouth again Mm. yeah that's really great yeah I can relate to that even yesterday I went something stirred me up and I went to the pantry and I went what are you doing like what are you feeling inside oh I'm really dysregulated and anxious because of this phone call and then just went and sat under the tree on the grass and that and just went just be with that dysregulation oh my god I love you so (laughs) yes and so here's the thing so for people listening this is such great work to do if you're feeling like the drink or if you're going into the pantry to grab the drink or you're driving off to the thirsty camel can we stop can we take a pause and just Mm. yeah what am what's actually going on for me right now yeah what's going on where am I feeling it can I be with it yeah and what's driving so the urge is really the the nervous system's trying to regulate because the nervous system doesn't care if you overdrink, overeat or whatever. All it cares about is survival and regulation. So it's like, I know that the quickest way I can regulate is through alcohol or food. It just instantly brings the nervous system down. And there's that biofeedback because you've had that habit for many years. Yes. And so going, oh, I'm just seeking regulation. Well, how else can I regulate? Using the body, using like many different other ways besides food or alcohol. So can you explain to people listening, obviously we know what dysregulation and regulation is and probably a lot of people listening, but for those who might be new to this whole conversation, would you mind just explaining dysregulation and how that might feel in someone's body, how someone could identify if they were feeling dysregulated? Have you heard of Dan Siegel? Yes, I have, yes. So he speaks about this thing called our window of tolerance. I'm sure you've heard Mm -hmm. of that. And so... When we're inside the window, that's like normal functioning life. Life's always going to throw stresses at us, but we just deal with them. When we are outside of that window, so if you go above that window, I mean, I just say above, but it's not necessarily anywhere in space. But if you go above that window, you go into what we call hyperactivation, which is that really fast, anxious, racy, like volcanic eruptive kind of space. Mm. more the more the anxiety kind of and so that would be fast heart rate breathing knots in the stomach like racy talking racy movements or we can go below the window which is hyperactivation and that's like zoned out numb 
spacey, frozen, almost can't move, slow. And mm. when we're in E, so both of these, when we're outside of the window, we're not the prefrontal cortex, the, the executive functioning, the decision making, it's just offline. And so the body just goes, how can I get back into that window? And food and alcohol, these things bring us back in. But we can use the body to kind of regulate, to come back down or come back up depending on where we are so that we're in. And we can't really make decisions when we're not regulated. Like it's re- it, we just go more survival automated kind of mode. And so it's about noticing where am I? Am I even in the window? Don't think so. Okay, how do I get back in there now? So how would someone recognize that they're in the window? I guess they're not feeling elevated and they're not feeling super depressed and shut down. It's that kind of flow state, isn't it? It's just that everything's working. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be in flow. It's just that you're not super anxious or super low. You're not, you can engage with people. It's just everyday life. Things come up. You're like, okay, that's stressful, but you might feel a bit of stress in the body, but it doesn't flip you over where you can't function that well anymore. Yeah, it's really great to be able to recognize where you are within that window of tolerance. Mm, Yeah. And noticing if I'm craving alcohol or if I'm reaching for food or any other self-soothing mechanism, if I'm reaching for something external, is it because I'm out at the window of tolerance? Could be really helpful for people. So where where am I at within Mm. this now before I reach for this thing? Yeah. Mm, this and is like such a great conversation. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. And say something like food, like even a really heavy carbs sitting in your gut can ground you. So it's like different food has different properties in how they regulate. You know, caffeine will stimulate. So if you're really flat or alcohol might stimulate you up if you're really low. So yeah, the urges can be the nervous system just seeking that change in regulation. And then I guess the morning after, so say you've gone and got yourself into your window by drinking a bottle of vodka, (laughs) (laughs) the next day you come out and you're going to be outside of the window of tolerance yet again. So you could either be in shutdown mode or anxious. Yeah, Yeah. really Mm -hmm. low, really flat or really anxious. Yeah. And that's exactly why, because some people might go, oh, well, I'll just have a drink and I'll get back into my window, but it doesn't keep you in that window. It's not probably the most healthy way, obviously, to get into that window. So learning to self-regulate and soothe yourself to get yourself into that window is obviously the most healthy way. Yeah. And long-term, when you think about all these things we do to distract, to regulate, it's fine to watch Netflix or go shopping or eat some chocolate or food or alcohol every now and then for enjoyment. But when it becomes to regulate and then the long-term impact of that is just poor health, poor mental health. All these things are fine to do every now and then. It depends on the reason we're doing it. That is so true because if people are in early sobriety and they don't know what to do with themselves and they're feeling that anxiousness, but then they're going to, they're just spending all night on the couch watching Netflix. It's not really helping either. I mean, you're not drinking, which is great, but are you just distracting yourself and finding other ways to soothe yourself, which aren't that helpful? Mm. So say if you're in early sobriety and let's say you're anywhere outside of the window of tolerance, what would you suggest for people to get themselves back into that window of tolerance quickly and easily? So, I mean, the somatic resourcing, which means any type of resource, like having a bath is a resource, going for a walk is a resource, reading a book, chatting to a friend, they're all kind of external resources, but we can make resources internal. For example, so if you do yoga, you can just do yoga. Or say if you go for a walk, that's a resource. You can go for a walk, but be in the body, notice the feet, notice the joints, notice the hips. 
how am I breathing? So you can go for a walk and be in your head and ruminating or the focus can be, okay, what am I feeling? Ah, oh, the chest is opening. I'm feeling some endorphins. I'm loosening up or, oh, there's a bit of stiffness. But all that is staying with the body. Mm, yeah. And you can turn anything into a somatic resource. You can have a bath and notice the hot water, notice the heat, notice the different sensations. And so you can go to the gym and do weights just doing it, or you can be really in your body and noticing the physical movements and the heart rate go up. And so anything bringing you back into the body, because we spend so much time away from our bodies, just from the neck up. Yeah, that's right. We do. We're so distracted and we're so caught in our story. Often we're ruminating, we're thinking about the past or we're thinking about the future. So many of us aren't in the present moment and you're right, we're up here somewhere. We're not in the bodily experience. Something that people could do now is just feel what's touching their skin. Feel the weight of their body in the seat if they're sitting on a seat. What can you feel? And just taking a moment to pause, what Mm. can I feel? What sensations can I feel on my skin right now? It's really such a beautiful and quick way to ground yourself. And just Mm. even pushing your feet into the ground, like it's such Mm. a simple thing, engaging the quad muscles because when we're in our heads, all the energy is up here. So that just brings the energy down. And I'll get people to do that in a session, noticing that their breathing's gone faster and they're speaking faster. I say, hey, just do that. And they're like, oh, yeah, that tightness in my gut went away or now I can breathe better, simply from just focusing the energy down to the feet. Yeah, this is such powerful work for people that are in recovery because I really do believe that this sort of somatic work is the way towards healing. Mm. because I just don't find I'll just like ignore it ignore the craving or beat it into submission isn't helping it's just that's the way we're using willpower yeah it's when we become dry drunks as well where we're not actually dealing with underlying issues and we're not Mm. learning to be with our body and what the body's telling us but it's all about learning to self-resource and learning to have this conversation with whatever's showing up for us in the body yeah so often we drink to not feel and so when we can feel in a safe space Mm. the things we're not trying to feel we can then process that because we're holding it away with the alcohol and it's like if we can turn it and bring it in Mm. then it integrates so it's not something we're spending all this energy trying to not feel and trying to hold away all the time Yes, absolutely. I mean, talk about this a lot on the podcast and the people that I work with, this is what we do. This is the sort of work we do as well. But we realize that if I can bring it in and if I can experience it and feel it in my body, it's not so bad. Mm. It's actually not the big, bad, scary monster I thought it was. Yeah. But you have to feel safe enough to do it, obviously. So that's why it's great. If someone was working, say, with someone like you, who's very skilled at teaching people, I guess, Mm. the first steps into taking those steps towards feeling. Because some people, it's terrifying to be in the body. Yeah. And the reason they're not in the body, the reason they're not feeling it is because it feels so bad. So the body's like, well, why would I want to turn towards this? It's a survival mechanism to shut things out. Because if we were just feeling all day, all this horrible stuff inside, we wouldn't be surviving. So the body's Mm. intentionally, the mind intentionally cuts that off. It can feel life-threatening to feel some of those things for the nervous system. So yeah, being in a safe place with someone holding that for you, people like, oh my God, I felt that and I didn't die. Like, 
it was horrible, but I didn't die. And they don't often realize that emotions are like waves and we drop out at the top of the wave and drink to get back down. But if we just stay with that, like you said the other day with that urge to eat, you stayed with it and then it kind of went down, like it completed itself, but we don't mm. let emotions complete within us. That's we right. just jump out of them. Yeah. And they really do. They've got an energy to them and they have to complete their cycle, don't they? Yeah. 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 This is such a great conversation to have and for people listening, because it's just so important that we learn to let the emotions come up and do what they need to do. Otherwise it all gets stuck in the body too. Yeah. Mm. We just hold it in muscle tension, in posture, in the way we walk the way we breathe, we mm. hold everything. Yeah. And what would you say to someone who's saying early recovery or even late recovery? Oftentimes things don't start to show up and surface for a long time. I've found that with working with people and on myself, things start to surface much later on. So sometimes early recovery is just that really initial, ah, that yeah, stage. Survival. But then later on, big stuff can show up. And we can feel really fucked. Some people just go into complete shutdown and feel terrible because the alcohol has been holding things at bay. Mm. And then after we get after the initial kind of, I guess, the novelty, perhaps sobriety, and then months later, some things can start to show up. And what do you say for people then when that's start to surface? I mean, it's much the same, isn't it? But what other tips can you give people who, when that stuff starts to surface? I know for me, I use journaling. Journaling for me is really handy. I suppose knowing that healing isn't linear, like you just there's not just this straight line that just goes up. You're going to go back and up and down and all over the place. But also that these big things are showing up. Everything, there's this lovely, like in the sensory motor psychotherapy that I use, there's this thing called organicity, which is that every organism's geared towards healing. It'll just do it, but it's in its own time. Like I can't make a client hurry up and heal. They can't, which most people want things to happen quicker. It just happens in its own time and trusting that the body will only bring up the big stuff when you're ready. Like it's not going to do it on day one. People can have Mm. 10 or 20 sessions and not even tell me about really intense traumas because they're not ready. Yes. And so just going, well, there's some part of you There's a part of you that's terrified of dealing with this, but there's a part of you that really is ready and just trusting you can hold those two things at the same time and just slowly move towards it. Yeah, absolutely. And I do believe that too. I was talking to someone about this yesterday that the body will bring it up when it feels that you're ready. Mm. Absolutely. So that oftentimes that's why the big stuff doesn't show up necessarily. I mean, it does for some people, but oftentimes it can happen later on down the track and it's not something to be afraid of, but it could be something that we can really learn from and work on healing Mm. and then it's not going to hold us captive anymore. Yeah. And in trauma work anyway, you never go for the big stuff first. You always work on stabilizing and all that stuff I was talking about before resourcing you have to have a resourced body and system you have to be in that window to even start looking at the trauma because Mm -hmm. then that part's offline if you're out of the window in the session the therapy is not going to work anyway so it has to be teaching the person about regulation Mm -hmm. before and so they can do it for themselves they have they leave your office and they have a real world experience of oh I felt that this week and then I managed to do this and it so really getting them from the inside to learn how to do that and then the system's stable enough to go to the bigger things Absolutely. And I guess putting it into practice too, when you've been teaching someone or showing someone 
this stuff, it's sort of up to them too to then start to feel confident enough to put it into practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also the great thing about the body work is that it's like in the session we're giving the nervous system an experience and so mm. their nervous system can look at how it's kind of organised. Oh, when I think of that, this happens in my gut. Before that experience, it's implicit. They weren't even aware of that connection. And so even just bringing those things to the explicit mind going, oh, that's what's happening. Mm. It almost gives the nervous system a real time teaching moment. And so Mm. it's not even as much about practicing stuff as it is. Well, it's the same importance practicing the resourcing as Mm having an experience that the nervous system, it's like you're now shining the light on something that you can't unsee. And it's like, oh, that's Mm. what I do. And that's how my system works. And learning how you go into some sort of dysregulation helps you learn how to come out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Freaking amazing. So talk to me a little bit about what you do, the sensory motor psychotherapy. So it's a bottom up So working with the body, sort of everything I've been talking about has come from that knowledge from sensory motor psychotherapy. So Mm. trauma therapy, helping people like get regulated again, get back in their window and then working on past traumas by being able to be with as opposed to pushing things away. And Mm. there's also an element of we have these missed experiences or say, for example, someone might have been attacked and they froze and they never got to kind of push that person away. I might notice in their really subtle hand movements, hey, you're moving your hands or you're doing a fist and then I'll give them that experience. Like Mm. I might create resistance with a pillow and their body can complete an action and that kind Mm. of gets something out of the nervous system and people often say, oh, I feel like it's over, like I got away or that's in the past Mm. because often the legacy of the trauma is still living in the present because the nervous system thinks it's still happening. And so being able to complete things that you weren't able to do or just, yeah, be kind of go slither by slither through a memory in a safe way, people go, oh, that happened and I didn't even realise that and and shows them kind of when we can downreg, like bring that fear response and they can look at the memory a little bit clearer, there's a different understanding and then there's that sense of, ah, I'm an adult now, I was a child but now I'm an adult and I'm safe. It's Mm. all about safety really because the dysregulation is I'm not safe. It's very much like Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger, a great book on this exact kind of conversation where he talks about completing the process. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. He talks about his own really bad accident where he was able to go into shock and shake that out because often we stop that we'll be given anti I don't know what they give you in the ambulance but to stop that response but that's the nervous system naturally resetting and he also speaks about having Mm. if there's someone there if there's you have an experience you know horrible traumatic experience but there's someone there that can be with you and care and that just can stop it from becoming a traumatic encoded kind of memory it's really interesting. The few weeks ago, I went up to this workshop with Bessel van der Kolb, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. He was talking about when that happened with the World Trade mm. Centers and how the people who were running from the scene that were running from the buildings that were actually managed to get out or the people that were in their surrounding areas and were running, mm. those ones, because they were actually physically doing oh. the running, 
they had less PTSD. Wow. The ones who were still running but then went home and then went home to, like, say, domestic violence or didn't have a partner or someone that they could also offload and talk to about or they didn't feel safe enough to talk to about, they're the ones that got the PTSD. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, all the ones that Mm. ran and that their body was able to kind of do that movement and run away. And then also then go home and be able to share the experience and download the experience. I think it was like they just didn't get PTSD. So I'm hoping I'm paraphrasing that all correctly, Mm. but that was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. That's a great example of that, what I was saying before about that completing. Like if you couldn't run, then that kind of becomes truncated in the body. So the Mm. fact that they could run, yeah, it just completes that, what the nervous system needed to do. Yes. So people that have, I guess, been in say a violent attack and they're a bit stuck in that and their nervous system has kind of gone on hyper alert since then, would they be able to work with someone like you yeah, doing that kind yeah. of work to kind of complete what needed to happen? But they're not going to start bashing you, obviously. Or No, you know. I mean, I do hold like, it's funny because my clients are like, what are you making me do? And I'll, I'll, they'll push against a pillow or hit a pillow or I'll get sometimes resistance for their feet to be able to push away. So, oh, I mean, it's very creative work. Sometimes in the moment, I just kind of go, this feels right hey, what if I put a hand up and resist? And they're like, yeah, like I have to kind of feel into what feels right for that situation. But yeah, that's the sort of thing we can kind of work with. Amazing. And so what if someone doesn't identify, say, of having like a big T trauma, like they don't have the big stuff, but can they still come and work with someone like yourself just to even say to get through recovery or even if they're not in recovery, if they're just super stressed? Absolutely. I mean, often there's so much more than the big T traumas. I mean, Mm. developmental trauma, attachment Mm. trauma, not quite getting your needs met. You know, a lot of people come in and they say, I had a great childhood. It was fine. Like we had everything we needed, but my mum didn't quite connect with me or I wasn't touched or enough or held or, and then they feel guilty. Like this isn't trauma. And I'm like, well, if Mm. your nervous system didn't get that as a child, you don't really have the language and the reasoning to go, I'm still safe because it it feels really unsafe being alone as a child. Yeah, absolutely. This is one, yeah, I get, Gabor Mate calls it the happy childhood mm. challenge. I think I've <laughs> not, heard him, yeah. Yeah, yeah when people say, oh, yeah, I had the perfect childhood, and not, then often once you kind of dig in a bit more, there's yeah. usually something there or some mm. need that wasn't met that can cause a lot of issues, which, like, makes me shit myself about my own kids. I know, my, yeah. my parenting, I'm just sitting going, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always saying to the kids, and what, where are you feeling that in your body? And they're like, mama, huh? I know my kids as well. They're like, oh God, don't Here she goes again. Yeah, my daughter Sunny is always saying, "Don't coach me, don't yeah. coach me." Although but, I do um, this lovely technique as well called the havening technique, which involves—I don't know if you've have you heard of havening? Yeah, I have heard of havening. Yeah, and so the my eleven-year-old will often say, "It's sometimes it's three in the morning, Mama, I've had a nightmare. I need havening," and and then he can do it on himself as well. But I will use that with the kids. It, it gets the fight flight out of the amygdala, like when there's certain events or if they've seen something or nightmares or any sort yes. of traumas. Mm. Can we do a little havening for people listening now? Just a, yeah. a tiny little micro thing that people Absolutely. listening might be able to do now. So the reason it works is because we use touch. So from the eyebrows across the forehead and over to the nose, like a kind of little Mm. love heart movement and then down the cheeks. Mm. And then then you get your hands from the top of the shoulders to the elbows. So kind of rubbing that a few times. 
as though you're kind of patting a rabbit or a cat or something, mm, that sort of nice. pressure. Yeah. And then hands, like so each hand sort of touching, like gliding a, a, across the other hand. Mm. And so the soothing touch, which we're wired for touch, we think about you pick a baby up and hold it and it relaxes. We're wired for that kind of touch to soothe us. The touch brings down the brain waves to a deep sleep relaxed kind of brainwave. But while doing this, what I would get you to do is a distraction. So I'd get you to count backwards from 103s or list things from A to Z in the supermarket. Anything that's going to get that working memory, which is the part of the Mm. memory that loops back to ruminating back to the amygdala to check for danger, it gives that a job. And so while you're doing the soothing touch, or I will do it with on clients, we kind of decide that. That combination just gets the emotional charge out of the memory. And so you can have the memory, but not have that reactivity come up. It's quite an amazing technique. How beautiful. Could Mm. someone use something like that, say, if they were having a really big craving for alcohol, would that be a nice thing to do? 100%. Like Mm. what they would focus on is what I would suggest is focusing on like we're talking before, what's that? What do you feel like what's in the body? And there's often going to be, oh, I've got this tightness in my gut or this tightness in my chest, that urge that the craving is trying to soothe. And just kind of doing the touch. You can even just do it on the arms. And so that's going from your shoulders down shoulders to elbows. Shoulders to elbows. And, and if crossed. you look online, there's many, many havening videos on YouTube. There's a brilliant teacher who I learned from called Kate Truitt, and she has this video CPR for the amygdala. And so it's Mm. teaching you how CPR in the moments where you're like so distressed Mm. and you can self-soothe and bring that charge and the triggering out of the whatever you're experiencing. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely beautiful. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll put links so people can see that and maybe give it a try. But that was really nice just to, I I love that because I really love touch. Mm. Poor Ash has to tickle my back every night when we go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really nice, isn't it? Just to, yeah. yeah. I really love this too, going across the eyebrows and towards the nose. Yeah. And And if someone doesn't mm. like touch for whatever reason, if it just feels uncomfortable or it's coming too close to the body and it's that alone is triggering you, you can even get a soft pillow and just stroke it with your hand, like something that feels mm. nice. How beautiful. Oh, my God, I'm going to book in with you. <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. I absolutely love this work and it's just so important. And have you had, I mean, you didn't have the big problem with alcohol. Does Lissy let you do this stuff on her or does she tell you to F off? No, she, I mean, what's been happening because I've been doing this little meditation, uh, somatic meditation course, and I'll tell her what's, what I'm doing this week. And, or I might mention some technique and she's like, oh, all the little things that you're saying that you're doing to help other people. I think it's slowly I'm taking it in. If I say it directly, she won't do it. Or she'll go, oh, someone said that you go into the body. It's real. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, so if she (laughs) hears it from a third person, then she'll take it on. And I'm like, you can't, she can't hear it directly from me. That's like, I can't, Ash can't teach me anything on guitar. (laughs) But old mate down the road could walk in and go, you should try this when you're doing that song. And I'll be like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Ash, guess what they said? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) totally get that um 
Oh, absolutely gorgeous, Nikki. So thank you so much just for sharing this little bit of wisdom. And if people wanted to reach out, you actually do work on Zoom and you also work, people can come and see you as well in person. And you're in Adelaide. Yeah, I'm in Adelaide, close to the city. Yeah, Parkside. Okay. So if people wanted to reach out to you, they can go to nikkilucas.com.au, which is www.nikkilucas.com.au. I'll put links for that in the show notes. And you're going to have some courses running and different things you've got the somatic meditation work going I mean such beautiful offering and I think what a great way for people to take that next step with their healing really learning this somatic work and getting into the body it is a great gift you're more present to your life to your purpose to your relationships Mm -hmm. it's like you're in life more when you're in your body more yeah, absolutely. You're so, mm. so right. You're so in life more when you're in your body because mm. you're having the experience. Maybe that's my catchphrase. <laughs> yes, you should get a t-shirt made up. <laughs> yeah. I think I say that to everyone, every person. You should get a t-shirt made up with that on. That's absolutely gorgeous, Nikki. Thank you so much for you're your very time welcome. today. Really yeah. appreciate it. It's been wonderful chatting to someone that's like-minded that gets the whole body bottom-up approach. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I absolutely love it. It's really how I love to work and just so interested to also learn more from other people like yourself. And it's great. The more people there are like you out there and spreading this word on this amazing work, I think I just want the whole world to get healed. And, <laughs> you know, I know this is the way forward. Yeah, I definitely don't think that I'm not so into that CBT approach of mm. just dropping the thoughts like a hot potato. Sometimes it can be handy to... Yeah to do that but people become more aware of their thinking but I often will have new clients that go I've tried the talk therapy but I just have a sense there's something more and I hear that all the time and and then when we involve the body they're like ah yeah this is it like it's Mm. it's somehow the body's kind of already seeking that yeah absolutely it's very powerful very very Mm. powerful work Mm -hmm. so before we go Nikki as well I just wanted to ask you what's life like for you now that you don't have the alcohol even though you weren't drinking that much and it wasn't a huge problem for you what's it like on the other side for you now so even though I wasn't drinking a lot in the last few years I was still so physically affected by it. And now I don't think a weekend goes by because it was a very Friday night, Saturday night kind of thing. I don't think a weekend goes by without Lissy and I both going, how good does it feel? Oh, my God. How good does it feel to not feel ill and anxious and head fog and be grumpy with each other? And I feel like I've just got so much more clarity when I'm talking to people out at events there's just a different connection like it's just I feel like I'm more there and not taken away by alcohol Mm. so yeah and I just feel like the longer it goes like I said in the beginning it wasn't ever I'm never drinking again but the longer I don't drink for it just doesn't make any sense to go back like I can't imagine anything that it's going to give me that I don't already have oh yes boom Mm. Yes, I totally get that. I feel the same because it's like, yeah, well, I could go and do that, but what the fuck for? And what what would it do? I don't need it anymore. That's the beautiful fucking thing. Like once you get that space away from it and you do work on yourself, you really realize there's nothing about that I need. Yeah, I've got it all in myself. That's right. And I 
I think I always wanted to stop drinking. Like I'd heard Wayne Dyer talk about how he'd stopped drinking and I remember thinking, God, I'd love to be able to do that, but I don't think I ever could. It's just part of our culture. It's part of my world. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it kind of just happened, I mean, mostly because Lissy quit, I just feel so grateful that I was able to do it without this big, right, I'm quitting alcohol. It's sort of happened quite gently and I just feel really grateful for that it's not borrowing from my future anymore. I'm getting my future. <laughs> Yes. Every bit of it. Yeah. And Lissy mentioned that because she said her family are teetotalers, but she said she liked hanging out with your family because they'd all have a drink. So how has that decision been? How has it landed with your family? Look, my younger sister's a performer and she hasn't drank because she she's a singer. She can't. She, and she hates it as well. And my parents have slowed down drinking. We've all, like now when there's family occasions, dad's always like, oh, God, there's only like two bottles gone when normally there would have been two cases of empty bottles. So it's great that everyone's just not necessarily not drinking at all, but it's the culture's sort of shifted in the family as well. Yeah. It's really amazing how that also happens too. It just Mm. sort of starts, it can start to shift once one person makes a bit of a change, someone else does. The conversation, it starts to look a bit different. The yeah. whole thing with alcohol. Yeah. And more people, more friends are stopping drinking. Talk to the school mums. They're like, yeah, I'm having a break or I've really cut back or I've stopped. So I'm noticing more and more around the place that it's becoming more common, which is easy, mm. makes it easier for other people. It does, doesn't it? Mm. And I think it is just becoming, well, it seems to be anyway, and it's just so much more like alcohol-free drinks are more accessible and yeah. just more and more people are showing up going, yeah, I'm not doing that either now. Yeah. I'm stopping that too. Mm. Yeah. So hopefully the, the Aussie drinking culture will shift at some point. Mm. I, I really think too, like with this somatic work, and you realise that one sip of alcohol changes what's going on in your body. Mm. just one sip and I imagine that the more work that you do more somatic based body-based work that you do even just yoga meditation more of that you put in you realize this is taking me away from my body straight away it's giving me a completely different feeling in my body which sometimes people want but I guess we realize that yeah I just like you and I were saying, just don't need that. Yeah. Don't want that. I don't want to be disconnected from my body ever. I want to be able to listen to the signals. Mm, absolutely. That it's giving me. And you think about stress, like when we're highly stressed, the body's doing everything it can to tell us, hey, we're stressed. You're not listening. The smoke alarms are going off, <laughs> but we're not listening. And then we're drinking alcohol on top of it, trying to get back into that window of tolerance, like you said. But imagine what that's causing internally. So for people listening, just thinking about that, the body's it's releasing cortisol, the stress hormone. It's telling us, it's telling us, it's telling us. And we're just disconnecting, disconnecting, disconnecting. Where does that stress go when it hasn't run that cycle? Like you talked about where the fuck it's storing in our bodies. And so we're accumulating this muck. Yeah. It's, it really is toxic, energetic muck in our body. It's got nowhere to go. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to move it out. Like say working with someone like you, we've got to learn to get this stuff out. We want it out of the body. We don't want toxic muck in our body. (laughs) Good way of seeing it. So that's why someone like yourself is so important for people to be able to reach out to people like you and do this body work, do this body-based work to get this shit out of our system. Yeah. Just beautiful. Nikki Lucas, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure talking to you. You too, Danny. See ya. See you later.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.